Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. The pundits like to slice and dice our country into red states and blue states. That the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Welcome to the podcast, History, Politics, and Beer, the 2020 Election Edition. We are here to take you from election to inauguration, examining the issues through the lens of history. Now, here are your hosts, Matt Shockey and Jeff Hudson. All right there, boys and girls, welcome back to another edition of History, Politics, and Beer. This is the special inauguration election edition. I think this is pod number five. My name is Matt Shockey. I do the introductions. And across from the table from me is Dr. Jeffrey Hudson. Uh, no, I'm not a doctor now. Let's In my see. world, you are a doctor. All right, all right. You got the gray, uh, go- oh, yeah. the gray goatee. You're a doctor of something. Okay. Um... What do we have to drink today? You have the beer. Well, uh, yeah, I got, you know, one thing about the holidays, they make these wonderful sampler uh, um, 12 packs, and I got one from Trogues. We had Trogues last time. Uh, probably the most well-known craft brewery of, of uh, Central PA. And this has all sorts of different beers. It has Blizzard of Hops, which we've tried. It has the Truganator, the Double Bach. It has Mad Elf. Has all sorts of beers. So, which one do you got? Which one did you pick? I, I, I this I picked the Grand Cacao Chocolate Stout. Let me just read from this. Welcome to the Grand Cacao. This deliciously decadent stout is built on a foundation of rich chocolate malt, caramel malt, and roasted barley. Cold steeping and Peruvian cacao nips and natural vanilla doubles down on the smooth symphony of chocolate. And a splash of milk sugar delivers a velvety sweet. Okay, and, I'm, uh, this is I don't, am, am too I, much. I'm getting a little aroused here. Is this a beer or a or a steamy movie? From the, all right, here we go. So I'm gonna crack this bed. We open, and as as we know, if you follow us at all, uh, the Yingling Hershey is my my favorite beer. I yeah. just it's a heavy beer. It's a dessert beer, but it is something I really enjoy. So here we go. It's six point five percent alcohol. Here we go. That's pretty good. Pretty good? That's pretty good. Okay. I'm not going to put it up there with the Yingling chocolate, but that is a nice, smooth... And again, you've been bringing me some hoppy beers, and this has hops in it, but we've been getting away from that bitter taste, and it's more of a smoother taste. And that's what this has, the aftertaste... You expect that bitter kick at the end, yeah. and you don't. I'm not getting that at all. I'm getting a nice, smooth chocolate taste oh, at the good. end of it. So, yeah, that, that's a home run right there. All right. Well, I picked the Chuganator, which had the highest alcohol content. By the way, I had this was a 12 pack, but mm-hmm. the governor shut us down. So, there's mm. three beers in here now because I've been busy. <laughs> and uh, so, this is a Chuganator. It's a double Bach beer. That means it's really heavily malted. 8.2% alcohol. Yeah, well, so that's pretty high alcohol content. You're thinking about your average Miller Light and stuff are coming in at about 4 to 5% when you buy those. And it's really good. I mean, if you like the dark brown. Right. Bowl, and high, yeah, it's a winter beer. Yeah. And uh, it's winter. And it's going to snow tomorrow, so we're all yeah. set. 
we're getting a nice big snowstorm. That's why we're trying to get this pod in as quickly as possible. And uh, we're matter of fact that we are looking at the date. Let me just check here. It is Tuesday, December fifteenth, uh, seven p.m. Just so you know, anything that we are saying is current as of that date. Um, I have a, we're going we're gonna to talk about the Electoral College today. We're going to talk about federalism. Um, we're going to talk about the future of the Republican Party and the future of the Democratic Party. But I, I, I came up with three questions today, and these aren't factual questions. These are really just opinion questions. I, I wanted to start off the show with these. So I got three of them for you. Number one, um, does Trump break... Uh, precedent and not attend Biden's inauguration. And let me just give you a little background. Uh, there's only been three presidents not to attend. Uh, John Adams did the not attend. first guy I lost. Very good. John Quincy Adams did not attend. Uh, he had a he did not like uh, Andrew Jackson at all. Okay. And Andrew so Adams jo- family sore losers. Yeah, Adams family sore Father losers. Father and son. And Andrew Johnson the 17th president of the United States did not attend Ulysses S. Grant's uh, inauguration. That sort of makes sense as well. Yeah, Ulysses as, Grant kind of pulled his support from from Johnson. Right, and Johnson was sort of, we talked about him before, a little bit of a, a man without a country, a Southern Democrat who was in the North, only becomes president accidentally because of Lincoln's assassination. So it's only happened three times. Does Trump go to the inauguration no he's not going i don't think there's a chance in the world he'll uh he'll be up there watching biden give his inauguration speech uh, i'm assuming the obamas uh will have some kind right. of uh preferred seating in this so i just don't think he'll be there okay right. i know that biden wants him there biden publicly has said, said that he should the be country, there right? absolutely good for the country uh, I, I could have a follow-up with that, but we'll hold off on that. My next question, does Trump run in 2024? No. Oh. I don't think he'll, he'll run. Um, I, I, I think he'll – I don't know if he ever loved being president. You know, we, there's always that argument, did he think he'd win in the first place? He's, right. a, he's a showman primarily, and uh, he loved the attention, and, 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 and then it turned out, you know – he ended up and and ran a decent campaign and won, uh, but I don't think he wants to do it again. And uh, you know, you never know. I mean, he'll be seventy eight, but that's what Biden is. So again, the age he's he's very heavy. I don't know what his health will be like. I think there's also a lot to be said for the lost cause. Um, there's a lot of popularity there that you lost by being cheated out of it. Yeah, he, and- he really won. Right. right, and he can go out on that. Uh, my last uh, question is: Was the Trump is Trump and the Trump presidency? Is it? Um, this is a little hyperbole here, but is it killing the Republican Party? Well, I don't know. I mean, he got more votes than anybody else who's ever run for president, except for Biden this right. time. I mean, people turned out for him. And because they turned out for him, the Democratic Party didn't do well in down-ballot races. They lost 12 House seats. Uh, they expected to take over some state legislatures, which would be really good for gerrymandering and you know coming up and, and improve their chances 
of keeping or expanding their house. They didn't get those. Um, and they didn't take back the Senate, although there'll be, you know, two seats decided here early in January down in Georgia. So, um, you know, I, don't, I think in one way he bought out these voters who didn't normally vote for the Republican Party. And as we'll talk about later, it, it didn't seem that, I, I mean, his margins got better among Hispanics and blacks than in 2016. And as you've, we've talked about, they right. didn't really have much place to go besides that. So do I think he, if he kills it, the Republican Party, it, it is going to be with young people in general. That's my opinion. Okay, I, I have a little bit of a disagreement on that. I think he is killing the Republican Party because he's splitting the Republican Party. Um, and he, he's sort of like that kid. If you I'm going to I'm going to go home and take my ball with me and go home. And I think we're seeing that play out now in okay. Georgia, where if you don't follow me, you don't get my votes. Now, I think there, there'll be time will tell how much of that uh, electorate Trump actually controls in the long run. Will they bleed back? Or will they disappear? Will they bleed over to the normal Republican Party? Or will they remain loyal to Trump? Uh, I was just... How long will Trumpism last without Trump? Right. Um, There was, I just was just watching a a demonstration where a group of uh, Republicans were yelling, I forget the exact terminology, they were saying down with the GOP, down with the GOP, because the, the... a Republican Party was not backing the challenge to the election enough. Right. You so, got Kemp, Governor Kemp down in Georgia. Right. You have the Secretary of State who certified the election, made an uh, eloquent speech about uh, that the election was fair and honest, and didn't. And even though he and his family supported Trump, he still got attacked. So I see where you're going there. You can you can uh, divide, like you said, divide the Republican Party. Um, Right now, it seems like the Republican Party in the last few years has been the party of Trump. And mm. So it's, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. That usually does. I will say it usually doesn't play out historically well when loyalty is to one man instead of an ideology. Um, that, pop- that man loses. Right. <laughs> um, so we'll talk about that more in a second. Let's talk about the Electoral College. Okay. Um, because, you want to talk about the Supreme Court? Well, yeah. Well, actually, let's go back and talk. I think that's a great place to start. Um, and the Texas case that 17 other states, I think, eventually signed on to. Yeah. And I think over 100 Republicans. 126 Republican I was members. Gonna, yeah, yeah. Something like that. 126. I actually had it written down someplace. 126 out of. It was the majority of the Republicans. Yeah. Uh, oh, here it is. 126 out of 196 Republicans in the House. Uh, we could talk about why it was in the House and not the Senate. The House tends to be, not tends to be, it is a little bit more extreme because right. of gerrymandering and the type you of- You don't have to appeal to a whole state. You can appeal just to your gerrymandered district, which you'll get reelected in over and over again. Right. So uh, what happened in Texas and why, let me ask you this. Why does it go to the Supreme Court? Like this, like all of a sudden, bang, the Texas case is well, in front of the Supreme Court. Well, they're saying it's a dispute between states, which gives okay. them original jurisdiction. The Supreme Court has original jurisdiction over states. So that's that's why it, 
they appealed it there. Now, obviously, the Supreme Court kind of looked at it and went, nah, we're not going to, you know, we're not even going to hear that case. And uh, all three of the justices that Trump not, you know, appointed didn't want to hear the case. So it was just, you know, uh, it was an exercise in, in futility. Yeah, the, the original jurisdiction basically means that it's where a case is heard first. Um, and there's very few cases where the Supreme Court has original jurisdiction, but one of them is disagreements between states. Because where else would a case be heard? It can't be heard in either state. So and disagreements between states might be uh, like uh, Arizona and Colorado over water rights over right. the Colorado River. That's what that's supposed to mean. Right. It's not supposed to mean I don't like the way you run your election. That's not a dispute between states. Right. And and this so we have multiple problems going on here. Um, the first is that. And you could explain this a little bit better. The case, they said Texas did not have standing. What does that mean when they, when the courts say, sorry, Texas, you have no standing in this case? Well, you, you, it's basically, you have no dog in the fight. There's, there's no reason that you can object. And we're talking about Pennsylvania, but right. obviously they objected to Wisconsin and you know, the other states that Biden won, right. battleground states. You don't have any say. The Constitution specifically says the states decide how to run their elections and how to award their electors. The states. That's it. It doesn't say, it doesn't give that power to the federal government, and it doesn't give it to another state. It gives it to the states themselves. So Texas has no say in how Pennsylvania decides to pick its electors. Therefore, they have no standing. Yeah. Or or what age our, our driver's license should be. Right. You know, or what the drinking age in Pennsylvania would have, you know, Texas could say, you know, we want you should have your drinking age and whatever, 19. It doesn't matter what Texas wants. Right. (laughs) This this is federalism. Yeah, this is federalism. And we did a podcast on this before. And there are there there are some overlapping powers where power is shared between the federal government and the state government. But the 10th Amendment is pretty clear that there are certain powers that rest solely in the states and how you can. Article two of the Constitution, which tells how the president's going to be elected and how electors are going to be awarded, is very specific. So the Supreme Court, it's not like they issued a huge, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, ruling on this. It was just a couple of senses, and they kind of, I think it was three senses, and they just kind of, yeah, they dismissed it. You know, they said. And this is even, a, this is so odd. Because Republicans are the party of states' rights. They're the party of separation. The federal government is too big. The federal government is too power powerful. They need to stay out of the. You know that's that's part what Obamacare was. You know why is why is the federal government regulating insurance in different states? It's greatly exceeding the power of the federal government. Now we talked about how the Commerce Clause right. sort of backdoors all of that, but this is. This is a very odd case for Republicans to bring. The idea that they would want a powerful federal government to step into a clear state issue and then disenfranchise all the voters from a state that's not even any of their citizens. It's a different it's citizens of a different state. Yeah, they they want to come in and say your votes don't count. But ours do. Right. But ours do. I mean, it is it's kind of nuts. Most legal scholars expected to 
what happened right. <laughs> that happened and and it just you know it shows you this uh, to me it's it's now like a cult like devotion to this guy who can't accept the fact that he lost and it's scary and we mentioned this narcissism last time and we talked about groundhog day you know and maybe today is the end maybe today is the day our nation or yesterday was the nation the day our nation woke up from Groundhog Day and having to deal with this narcissism over and over and over again because the electoral uh, votes were finally counted in each state capital. And guess what? Guess who won? Biden. Biden. Because he was supposed to, because that's how the votes went in the states. The states had fair voting. I do want to talk a little bit about uh, this idea that this election was rigged. And I don't want to go over old ground and, and get into specifics, but I've talked about this before, and it's the concept of Occam's razor. You know, Occam's razor is a philosophy that says when all things are equal, the simplest solution is usually the correct solution, or at least that should be the starting point. Yeah. So when you look at this election, you can say, well, what's the simplest solution? A, that Joe Biden got the most votes and won the election, or B, that there was a vast conspiracy between multiple states, multiple governors, multiple secretaries of states, tens multiple, of- Multiple and, and over parties. Between Georgia parties. Georgia and Arizona run ten, by the Republicans. Thousands of poll workers, then state courts and federal courts of judges of different parties- all deciding to collude. And then there was all- a Trump appointee in the third circuit court right. who denied that, that there was any fraud in or any that, that basically they had any case for fraud and dismissed the case about Pennsylvania that they bought in federal. So we have a Trump judge. Then they, they colluded with the Supreme Court and also every single major news network in the world. Like, so which one is more likely to happen? He lost a vote or this collusion of gargantuan oh, yeah, proportions. Yeah. It just, it defies <laughs> any sort of logic or, com- or common does. sense that this election was rigged. I do want to say one more thing about this. And this is all of um, Rudy Giuliani's affidavits that he has. He has a thousand affidavits signed. Well, you know what? Affidavits are sworn statements. Right. You don't, and that there was a judge that there was a, uh, I'm not sorry, I forget the woman's name. They made fun of her on Saturday Night Live that says, I go to jail if I'm wrong. No, you don't. You don't go to jail if you're wrong on an affidavit. You go to jail if you lied on an affidavit. You're, you could be wrong. And somebody wants to prosecute you for right. that. Right. So I could be, you know, like every day I could go to, like I could work at a bank. And I could see somebody every Friday, they're shoving money into a big bas- into a big bag. And I'm going to sign an affidavit from the police going, Jeff Hudson, he's stealing money. I see it every single day. And then when they do the audit of the bank, there's no money missing. Well, it, that's because maybe you were taking the money to a different bank and depositing someplace else because that's what you were supposed to be doing. So this idea that there's affidavits. There would have to be physical evidence after these affidavits were read. If you're telling me that these there's extra votes, then that would be very easy to find out because we know how many people voted and we know how many votes were cast. Though if those numbers match, there's no extra votes. So these affidavits that are being pushed as evidence really 
are only partial evidence. Yeah, they're partial evidence, and then you have to find the physical evidence. Yeah, it's, it's going and to there back isn't any. And there isn't any. So because the votes were were fairly cast. Now I did find out, you know, when I was, uh, you know, Pennsylvania cast their votes at noon yesterday, and uh, it's interesting. You know, they cast a vote for the uh, president and the vice president because of the Twelfth Amendment, because of the argument. Right. Was it eighteen hundred? Yeah, election of 1800. Jefferson and uh, Van Buren, somehow, they didn't know who people wanted to be president. Aaron Burr. Oh, Aaron Burr, that's yes. right. Not Van Buren, Aaron Burr. And, uh, but anyhow, Jefferson eventually wins that, as, as, as we know. You haven't heard of President Aaron Burr. <laughs> uh, uh, but, uh, but anyhow, I, I, you know, the electors are chosen by state legislature, and I found a whole list. The, this, the, once these votes are cast, they, they go to the National Archives. Right. And there's a, you can go read. Everybody can find out who the electors are. And I found out our own Janet Diaz is one of our Oh, really? Yeah, Janet Diaz, who's on the Lancaster City Council, ran for she, state senate. She's an elector. Yeah, she's an elector. Oh, that's really so cool. So it's party activist. So that's why right. you have very few faithless electors. They're gonna, and Josh Shapiro. Okay. So he's our attorney general and, uh, you know, fought really hard to uphold our election laws. So the chance of him changing, obviously, didn't. And we talked about faithless electors in the last podcast of the thousands and thousands of of votes that have been cast. There's something like 80 to 90, uh, I think maybe 70 faithless electors. Almost all of them are symbolic votes. Uh, About half of them were took place because the candidate that was elected died before Horace Creeley died before the electors could actually vote. So about 30 or 40 of them switched their votes because the candidate actually died. So faithless electors, though possible, are extremely rare. Well, anyhow, so, you know, we hope that Groundhog Day is over. We've had the votes in the, the capitals. And today... On the floor of the Senate, Mitch McConnell congratulated President-elect President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris on 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 their win. So I'm sure that irritated Trump. So it seems like we could be moving in the right direction. However, we have the potential for more mischief because one of the copies they make six copies of the certificate of the vote, and one copy goes to the President of the U.S. Senate. And it will be officially counted in the Capitol on January 6th. Now, the president of the U.S. Senate is the vice president. So we have an awkward situation where Pence is going to have to count the electoral votes that he says are fraudulent uh, to put Joe Biden in office. And, And during this process, objections lodged by members of the House may be heard if you can get at least one senator to sign on to your complaint. Now, we had when we started the, these pods about the election, we mentioned uh, the movie Recount and what happened in the uh, Congress when Al Gore had to certify the votes because he was vice president, therefore president of the Senate, but he had to certify the electoral votes that would lead to his defeat. So let's just listen in on... I take great pride in calling you that. Um, I must object because of the overwhelming evidence of official misconduct, deliberate the fraud, chair, and an attempt the to chair must remind members that under Section 18 of Title III, United States Code, 
No debate is allowed in the joint session. Thank you, Mr. President. To answer your question, Mr. President, the objection is in writing, signed by a number of members of the House of Representatives, but not by a member of the Senate. I'm Mr. Okay. So because it wasn't signed, none of those objections in 2000. And by the way, the reason you might have heard that person and he might have sounded he was a, a black person. Most of the people who objected in, the, in 2001 to what had happened in the 2000 election were black because we had talked about that before when we mentioned Choice Point, the uh, uh, organization that Jeb Bush and the Florida Secretary of State bought in to cleanse the voting rule, and they had gotten rid right. of a lot of legitimate black voters. So they're mad about this, but they couldn't, these black members of the House in 2000, uh, and one objecting to the 2000 presidential election, couldn't get a senator to sign on. So that's what you just heard. And and you have Al Gore presiding over that as fairly as he could possibly can, saying, hey, you got to have a senator, otherwise we can't really do anything about this. Now, do we expect... Mike Pence to behave that way. Well, Mike Pence may not behave that way, but his behavior will have no bearing on the outcome. Why not? Well, because what's going to happen is if a member of the House objects, and there are going to be members of the House that object because it's going to play well in their home districts. It's a win-win for them. They're going to stand up. Now, let's say they can get a member of the Senate to sign one. So Pennsylvania's electors come up. That's red. There's an objection from the from from a, a member of the House, and somebody from the Senate actually says, "Yeah, I'm signing one to that." Well, that doesn't nest that in and of itself doesn't do anything. What they do then is they go back into their chambers. The Senate will go back into their chambers. The members of the House representatives will go back into their chambers. They will meet for two hours. Then they will vote on whether this slate of electors from that particular state, and let's just use Pennsylvania as an example, should the state of electors from Pennsylvania be accepted? Well, the House of Representatives is controlled by Democrats, and there's no way the House of Representatives is going to overturn uh, electors from any state. And we For all, Biden and Harris. And we also do. have a number of senators that said they won't do it either. So at, at, at the best, at best, they can do a delaying tactic. Now, it's also interesting that they put a time limit there of two hours. So you simply can't filibuster your way into holding out so the secretary is uh, the speaker of the house will eventually become president. So basically they can do a stalling tactic, which will look bad. Um, it, and I, I don't know if it'll happen or not, but it will not change the result of this election. Yeah. Wait, wait, but, you know, again, if that happens, what we think is, you know, and, and I get tired of where I'm back in Groundhog Day where Trump's narcissism won't let him admit. And he, he might not even be able to believe he lost. Right. I, mean, I don't know how, how deep his well, mental know, illness goes. Now, I think what well, I'm mad at, I know these most of these Republican senators and the majority of the congressmen, they know he lost. They know the election uh, was fair. So they're doing it for their own political benefit. But, you know, the, the, the eventual loser is a faith in legitimate elections. Well, let me see. So this. the eventual a loser on this is the American people. George Costanza from Seinfeld <laughs> offers us some really wise words. And he says, it's truly not a lie 
if you believe it. And there's a lot of truth to that, right? Yeah. You can say it so many times that it simply becomes your truth. Well, and, Trump's a winner. He never loses. Right. So? He's not lying because he believes that it is the truth. And this was another question I wanted to ask you about these 126 Republic Republicans that are backing this thing. I think that if you took each one of them behind closed doors and they spoke open and honestly, I've no, hardly any of them really believe that. You mean the, the ones in Congress? Yes. But 70% of Republicans... Well, I, I, I think in polls, I take don't believe this election was free and fair. I take exception to that, too. I think there's explanations for that, uh, the way that question was being asked. But I view this as a loyalty test. You know, I think that the people who are backing Trump right now are afraid of Trump and his voting block. He's already made it clear that he's willing to endorse other Republicans against Republicans that he once endorsed because they're not towing the line. We can see that happening in Georgia right now. So for a lot of these Republicans, I think this is a good old fashioned loyalty test that they're willing to stand in line with him. It's not going to hurt them politically to do that, but that if they do, if they don't, they could get primaried in their districts and a Trump uh, Republican could come in and, and say, hey, you didn't stand by. You did not Trump. stand by the president and therefore we're going to primary you. And Trump has shown that that is a weapon that he will use. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I, I generally don't like uh, using Hitler comparisons, <laughs> <laughs> but today I'm going to make an, an exception. You know, there's this thing, it actually wasn't thought up by uh, Hitler. I don't think it was this guy named Kesseling, but there's this idea of the Fuhrer principle. Have you ever heard of that? No. The Fuhrer principle. Well, the idea is that the leader embodies the state. Okay. And so that basically means uh, that the Fuhrer's word is above all written law. Mm -hmm. So if, if you actually believe, if you're actually a person who believes that Trump, and, and I tell you what, they're on Facebook, and they're I've seen, oh, yeah. and they absolutely believe they have. They've adopted the Fuhrer principle. It's not I believe in the Constitution. It's not that I believe in elections. It's not that I believe in the Electoral College. I believe what Donald Trump says, mm -hmm. and it's more important than what a judge says. I know you're giving me a sad look, but there are people who believe that, I, who actually believe it. I I don't know if most. Congressman, here's a Trump tweet. Uh, uh, who is a worse governor, Brian Kemp, Georgia, or Doug Ducey of Arizona? These are two rhino, that means Republican name only, Republicans who fought against me in the Republican Party harder than any Democrat. They allowed states that I won easily to be stolen. Never forget, vote them out of office. That's you know, there's again, there's no the loyalty isn't even to the Republican Party. The loyalty is only to Donald Trump. It's the fear principle. I, you know, you're not really you're not comparing Adolf Hitler. You're comparing him to the idea of a strong leader. Right. Where right. And the idea that, yeah, the fear principle. I'm not. Right. Trump in, in his, you know, and, and, and we, we've talked about that before. And this you is can't some, make Hitler comparisons. And this that, is right? something that I talk about in my class, my classroom at school. And that is one of the reasons. And I've always I told my kids this. The reason why our democracy is safe is because no man is above the Constitution. 
that no matter how popular you are, it, that you can step too far and even your own supporters will not support you anymore. And I've always, I always use the example of uh, Franklin Roosevelt trying to pack the courts. Right. At one of his most popular moments in history, he tries to add, and and it falls Maybe apart. What, 16 justices? Right. There was some crazy. Numbers. And even Democrats were like, whoa, 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 that's, that's crazy talk. You can't do that. But I can no longer say that anymore. I can no longer say that democracy is safe because people won't, will not uh, follow someone that clearly is going outside the realm of the Constitution. You know, this is I, I was listening to another podcast and, um, and I, I would give it credit, but I forget who I was listening to. And he said, this is only going to become a footnote in history because this election wasn't close enough to steal. If this election would have been yeah, close, I've heard to, several people say that that we could be having a very. If this was one state, you right. know, two states instead of multiple states, and some with Republican governors and right. Secretary of States. Yep, I agree with you. Well, listen, after Ducey, the Republican governor in uh, Arizona, certified the vote. Uh, here's what the official uh, Arizona Republican Party Twitter account had earlier retweeted. Uh, and this is by a right-wing activist named Ali Alexander, in which he pledged that he was willing to give up my life for this fight. And in the tweet, that in this retweet, the state party responded in a tweet saying, he is, are you? So one guy, this right-wing activist, I'm willing to give up my life for this fight, retweeted on the official Twitter account of the Arizona Republican Party. He is, are you? That's extreme, you know, and again, that's extremism. That is a scary extreme, extremism. And that's the fear principle. It you is. Know, it's, 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 the fight is not for, the fight's not for the Republican. The fight's for Donald Trump to be president. And there's also a distortion going on to the past. 2016, well, look at how well people were, how many people loved Trump when he was elected. Well, the day after the election, Hillary Clinton called to concede to the president-elect uh, Donald Trump. And then the day after that, he was invited to the White House by Barack Obama. Um, when the Democrats said, Trump is not my president, they weren't it wasn't be, to be taken literally. It was a metaphor with you don't, I don't support anything that you believe in. And the things that you are going to do aren't my fault. They are the fault of the people who voted for you. Um, I have, and I'm gonna see if you can guess this or not. I, I have 20th century. I have an historical figure, political historical figure, never was a president, um, who I think Trump reminds me of. If I had to say, you know, one historical figure, 20th century, um, any guess who I may think that Trump, historical figure, political figure from the 20th century, uh, once, I'll give you one hint, at one point, Franklin Roosevelt called him the most dangerous man in America. The kingfish. The kingfish, Huey Long. Yeah. I think it's a great comparison. He's a populist. A very much a populist. Huey Long was a little left wing compared to... He was left wing, and that's an interesting part, but he was bigger than 
his ideology, right? right? Um, and I, I, if you don't know who Huey Long is, I were, this is not the appropriate venue at, at the time left in our pod to get into Huey Long. But do a little reading on Huey Long and some of the things that he believed and how he appealed to the common man. Um, even appealing to the common man with ideas that sounded good on the surface, but really were not practical or even feasible to, to take. So I think that uh, history can be a guide here. And what I have learned about my study of history is that we're really, really bad at predicting the future. Um, we can we, we like to think that history repeats itself, and I guess it does to some degree, but it's always to see... Well, human nature is always a constant. Right. So to end this pod tonight, I want you to give me uh, the magic eight ball prediction of the next five years for Donald Trump. Where do we see him in the next five years? You know, I, I, there's been a lot of talk about him not liking Fox. He doesn't like anybody who just, you know, Fox called Arizona early on. Um, there's been people on Fox who have referred to Biden as the president-elect. Right. So, so, you know, so the, I, and he's basically a media guy. That's who he is. He's a media creation. He knows how to work the media. He's good at it. So it seems to me um, like what some people have predicted is that he might go into uh, try to form his own channel or media outlet using some of the money he might be getting right now uh, to, uh, you know, supposedly contest his election. I don't know if he'll be able to do that, but I see him doing that. I don't. He doesn't want to fade out of the public eye. And what better way? Now, you say five years, and, 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 and I don't know. I don't know which way the country is headed. Uh, we'll talk maybe more in the next part about why can't the Democrats just beat the crap out of a guy right. like this and a Republican Party that's gotten so far away from any of the founding principles. Uh, but there's reasons, and, you know, the Democrats... I just don't feel like attacking Democrats today because they're not the problem. Right. They're not the problem. There's a huge problem with Trumpism. Um, so, but anyhow, I would see him uh, staying in the public eye, trying, and I don't know if he'll, he'll produce things. And I don't know if he'll be able to run his own channel, but produce, I, um, what, films? Well, think I think he can draw an audience. He can draw. Well, he could be a speaker. That's yeah. He that's can what draw, he loves to do. He can draw an audience and then surround himself with people who are going to be best able to monetize that into some sort of channel, into some sort of show or whatever. I agree with you. I think that's exactly where this is going. All right, we're going to leave it there. I know we left a lot on the table for tonight. I know we want to come back and talk about the future of the Republican Party and the future of the Democratic Party and also answer the big question that you're leaving hanging out there is why can't the Democrats beat the crap out of this guy? It seems like such an easy thing to do. But as you pointed out, he got more votes than any sitting president in history. This wasn't Biden won by six, by seven million votes, but this wasn't a landslide election. Trump performed very well, and especially and he helped ballot. Republicans down ballot, which is one reason they're sticking by him. Is that he helped them down ballot? All right. Until next time, boys and girls. We'll see you.